If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, this is Ron Mohotra. I'm the CEO and founder of The Successful Male, and I'm someone that is all about magnification of life. I, in this interview with Dov Barron, I'm going to be talking about how to go from success to a life of significance where you've gone beyond your own needs to add value to others. Stay tuned. Congratulations. You are tuned into Dolph Barron's Leadership and Loyalty Show, the number one podcast for Fortune 500 executives and those who are dedicated to creating a quantum leap in leadership. Your host, Dolph Barron, is the founder of FullMontyLeadership.com. He's an executive mentor to leaders like you, a contributing writer for Entrepreneur Magazine, CEO World, and he's been featured on CNN, Fox, CBS, and many other notable sites. Dov Barron is an international business speaker who was named by Inc. Magazine as one of the top 100 leadership speakers to hire. Now, over to Dov Barron. Welcome, dear friends, fans, and fellow aficionados of leadership excellence. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Dov Barron's Leadership and Loyalty Tips for Executives, part of the Full Monty interview series. I'm your host, Dov Barron, founder of Full Monty Leadership, and I'm here to assist you tapping into the one thing changes everything in your business. Let me ask you, what do you need to level up your leadership? Well, today we're going to be taking an insider look at, you may have the right title, you may even have the right accolades, clothes, uh, even residence. But does any of it really matter? Remember, you can chat about this episode or any past episodes on our Facebook page by going to Dove Barron's Leadership and Loyalty Podcast on Facebook and chat there with uh, other viewers and other listeners about this episode. If you're a new listener, new viewer, thank you for joining us. Strap yourself in. We're about to go full Monty. Remember, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you tune into podcasts. We always need your help in staying relevant. So please, whichever country you're in, go over to iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe to the show. We're already hitting 110 countries, and we'd love you to do that. When you do, please go to the Facebook page and tell us you did it. Maybe we'll give you a shout out live on the show. You can also catch us on traditional radio stations across the United States every Monday and Thursday. We're going out all the way from Florida to Colorado. If you're a regular listener, a big thank you to you for making us the number one podcast globally for Fortune 500 listeners and with the potential reach of 2.5 to 4 million listeners, viewers, for every show, we're honored and grateful to be cited by Inc.com as the number one podcast to make you a better leader. If you're listening, you can also listen on Google Home or Alexa by simply saying, play Dove Baron Podcast. Again, 
Thank you for sharing the show with everybody you know. And remember, you can also find us on Roku TV, where there's over 100,000 subscribers. All right, let's strip it down and dive right in. Whether you're a CEO, someone in the C-suite, a sales leader, entrepreneur, or a leader in any capacity, you know that we live in maybe the most competitive time in history. Companies, brands, and individuals are all struggling to stand out in this sea of attention-grabbing memes, blogs, podcasts, literally millions of videos hitting us every single day. So when the feces hits the fan, what will make life matter? Well, stay tuned because our guest today is the author of four books, including his latest, Magnify, What Makes Us Magnify Make Your Life Matter. Ron Mahaltra is an award-winning wealth manager, advisor to businesses. He's a best-selling author, a thought leader trainer, and an in, uh, international speaker and founder of the Successful Male, a movement that enables men to develop self-awareness, self-control, and self-mastery. Ron Mah Mahaltra, sorry, I apologize for that. I'll try that again. Ron, Ma Ron Malhotra. I don't know why I said your name publicly. No, thanks, <laughs> is the creator of the Success Blueprint program. In 2017, he was named as a top 30 LinkedIn influencer with 30 million views. He's the ambassador for International Men's Day, a director of Global Goodwill Ambassadors, vice president for Global Transitions Foundation, and featured on Entrepreneur, Money Magazine, Personal Investor, CNN, Huffington Post, ABC, Financial Review, and many more. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for Ron Malhotra. Wow, Dov, that was a that was a mouthful. Thank you so much for um, for getting that right. And I've got to tell you, I've got to tell you, I've been on your name, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to tell you though, I've been on many, many podcasts, hundreds, and I this morning I thought to myself, why am I nervous? And I realized I'm nervous because I have so much respect for the work that you do. And in the short time that I have been exposed to your material and I've had the opportunity to get to know you, uh, it, I've already, you, know, you very quickly demonstrated that you're a man of substance. So thank you so much for having me on. It's my honor to be here. Well, thank you, sir. I'm, I'm deeply honored and grateful. I sincerely appreciate that. That's, that's very generous of you. Thank you, sir. So, so let's jump right in. Um, why magnify as a book title and, and why make your life matter? I mean, everybody's, we know everybody's trying to make their life matter, but I, it seems like people are really fumbling around on that. T tell us why you came up with that title. What does it mean to you? Yeah, I, I can, I can look, I can appreciate that on the surface, it probably sounds a bit generic, but uh, I've, you know, about 10 years ago, I went uh, on a journey of self-discovery. And uh, one of the questions I asked myself was, who am I? And what do I want to be known for? And Ooh. as I did some soul searching, and I found that one of the hardest things, especially you know, for a lot of men is to take that journey from your mind in back into your heart and into your soul. Uh, so, you know, I had developed my intellect to the point that I had become really good at solving problems and analysis and things like that. But when it came to asking the most important questions in life, I had absolutely no idea who I was. And right. so the questions like, you know, who am I? Why am I here? Uh, what do I want to be known for? 
So when I started to do the soul searching, I realized that one of the underlying philosophy that guides the way I think and the guides the way that I live is I'm all about increase. And what does that mean? Well, I really oh. strongly, I feel very passionate about the fact that, you know, people talk about um, you maximizing your potential. It's a bit of a cliched um, phrase, but for me, I could really understand that the consequences of not maximizing your potential. So I was one of those guys who are always talking about increase, all, whether it's an increase in my thinking capacity, it's increase in my performance, increase in my influence, increase in my net worth, increase in my connections. I was always looking to improve on every aspect of my life. Sure. And, um, and I then, you know, I have a, a, a lot of interests. I like to do a number of things from consulting to advising, speaking, writing, so on and so forth. And it was becoming very hard to, put one single label on myself in terms of what I wanted to do. And I did not really want to restrict myself based oh. on what I did. So then I thought to myself, if I had to come up with a single philosophy that encompasses all of my work, what would I call it? And that's how I came up with the word magnify because I'm all about magnification of life. Mm -hmm. and, then, uh, and from there, we just basically, we said, you know, we have different offerings and programs and solutions from magnify your business to magnify your mindset, magnify your success, so on and so forth. And that's how the word magnify came about. Okay, so, so let's take that to the next level, because you also have this successful male movement uh, and successful male podcast. Yet, when you go to your website, it's important that people know that there are many women testimonials on there. So tell us why the successful male and why there are women on there who I'm pretty sure are not men. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, I, um, for many, many years that I have been in this business, I have predominantly attracted women uh, and a lot of women approach me and they're ambitious about changing their lives or improving their lives or improving their outcomes. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was one of the, I was a man in my twenties who was really struggling. I was, uh, I had no idea about what my real identity was. I was frustrated. And like a lot of men, I had that mix of arrogance and igno ignorance happening at the same time. So I was really frustrated. It's a lovely, lovely combination. Arrogance well, I think and that's ignorance. How, yeah, I think that's how men conceal their insecurities is through arrogance and, uh, you know, so it wasn't until many years later that I started to evolve as a person and I developed some maturity and character, which I was lacking in my 20s. But when I, mean, I looked around myself, I asked myself this question, you know, do I know any man in my networks uh, that I can look up to and say, I want to emulate their example uh, or their life as an example for myself? And this is probably one of the reasons I have a lot of appreciation for the work that you do, Dov, because in my entire lifetime, I haven't come across many men that are living full out, but, you know, also making a difference and being authentic mm -hmm. with themselves. And so, but I had seen that quality in a lot of women. It, interestingly, I found sure. that women were well connected within themselves, a lot more authentic. Um, and, you know, they, they, um, you know, they didn't have the BS syndrome like a lot of men did. Uh, so then I saw, I could easily see the gap. I was attracting a lot of women that wanted to work with me, but I could see this gap between how women were thinking and the actions that they were taking versus all the men that I knew. And this included myself in my past, but also people within my networks, my friends. And I saw there was a significant gap. And then statistics, I uh, started to come across statistics, which further demonstrated to me that that was actually happening worldwide. Men were falling behind. Uh, everything from academic scores to discipline. 
to and you'll be looking at statistics around uh, anxiety, depression. Uh, all of these were on the rise and even financial failures yeah. and entrepreneurial failures. And I was thinking, my God, there's, there's, the women's liberation movement has done wonders for women. But why are we not talking about enabling men? Um, and, uh, and so that was really the reason why we started with mm-hmm. this. And so that's why you find that my personal brand, I have a, a lot of women that I have dealt with. But then when we started the successful male, obviously, we were targeting the men's market. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because um, the images of the successful men, uh, for me, uh, in my work, in my research, it, it's very polarized in that the successful men um, often look like those social media advertisements we see of the guy standing by his Lamborghini and showing his, his, us his Ferrari and his big house. Um, and on the other side of that is the shoeless, snowflake, um, wimpy guy who, you know, can't get his shit together. Um, do you think that as a generality, of course, there are always wonderful exceptions to the rule, but do you think that as a generality, men have lost their way because we don't know what our role is anymore? Yes, I do. I, 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 I do believe that there is a lot of confusion about what it means to be a masculine man in the real world. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, I, and I do agree with you. I think there are largely, and we can't generalize, you know, for, there are always exceptions, but largely we're seeing that there's two categorizations. There are the men that are highly driven, very ambitious, driven by power, prestige, titles, financial success. And then we've got a whole new generation of men that are opting out of the system. They hate the capitalist system. And their way of rebelling is, look, I'm not going to work. I'm only going to sit on the beach, meditate, do some yoga, eat organic food, and that sort of stuff. And I just feel that both extremes, um, they are misguided in terms of the fact that, you know, if you, if you put too much emphasis on the physical world and the material world, there are consequences of that. At the same time, if you deny the physical world, and you use spirituality as an escape from the physical world, I think there is consequences of that. And I, I kind of realized that there was really no one talking about the integration of the physical and the spiritual, because at the end of the day, yes, we are, people say we're spiritual beings having a physical experience or a human experience. Well, we might as well enjoy and master that physical experience as well. Let's not deny that uh, and use that as a convenient excuse to move towards spirituality. Uh, So for us, it was a case of, I mean, we were misunderstood in the beginning. There was a a lot of men that uh, were calling me a feminist and there was a lot of women that were calling me a sexist. And I said, well, you better make up your mind which one I am, because for me, it's really (laughs) not about, I'm in no way anti-women. This is not about that at all. This is about understanding that one of the best ways to serve women, not that that was the core reason for doing it, but one of the best ways to serve women is to raise and develop men that have self-awareness have tools for for self-control and self-mastery and really no one's doing that out there uh, so it was it was interesting that there was a, a lot of people did appreciate what we were doing but there was a lot of people that were short-sighted about what we were doing so there was a we had to explain ourselves and say look man we're doing this because out there in the world the initiatives that are doing really well for men are initiatives that either make men feel like victims they attack women and the feminist movement mm-hmm. or they talk about superficial things like dating and attraction, health and fitness, um, or uh, style and uh, style and grooming, but they don't go beyond that. Uh, even today, right. if you look on Instagram, you'll find that initiatives that talk about that superficial aspect of what it means to be a man will have following that goes into the hundreds of thousands of people. Yet when Absolutely. you talk about the 
Yeah. And when you talk about the real stuff like character, maturity, character development, courage, accomplishment, discipline, respect, you find that there is not that much interest in it yet. So um, I do feel that we are ahead of our times in leading that change. And it's come with mm -hmm. a lot of challenges, which I, you know, when I interviewed you on my podcast, I did say to you that, you know, this has been a big challenge for me because whilst I'm very good I'm, in terms of autonomy, I'm very good at managing my own performance. Now, this is a whole new ball game for me because now this Absolutely. is not just about leading myself. And yeah. so that's how we got talking about it. And so that's what yeah. really the, the essence of the successful male is. Yeah, it, it, it's very interesting because, um, you know, the argument, and you know, because we've talked about it before, I've done the men's work since the early 80s and, and been involved in psychology and psychological development as well as leadership. And, and one of the things that's fascinating to me is uh, men want to hold on to what's safe. I mean, human beings do, but we are, but men particularly want to hold on to what's safe and secure. And often that's an identity that doesn't really ring true in the world anymore. You know, we come from, from backgrounds, we come from cultures, we come from traditions that say, this is what a man is. And this is what a woman is. And if you don't fit with that, the it's easy to feel like an outcast. So let me ask you, uh, on a personal level, what was that like for you at a traditional cultural level about what a man is versus what you've been conflicted with and then, you know, moved forward in your life? What, what was that like? Because you would have had very strong role models that said, or cultural models about what a man was versus how you wish to aspire. Um, so I grew up in a family where there was uh, a, a lot of um, psychological drama and domestic, I wouldn't say violence, but there was, there was, you know, there was abuse. And so I, um, for me, I grew up very confused as a young man. And, um, you know, my, my father is a very good man, but um, sometimes I felt that he probably didn't lead with strength like he needed to at times. So growing up, I was a very confused young man. And um, so I didn't really have role models. And I looked around me, most men that I knew were struggling or suffering in some way or reaching for alcohol or reaching for sex and reaching for some sort of superficial uh, way to numb their senses as opposed to doing a deep dive. And every time I did try and ask any deep questions, I was either labeled gay or some men would just laugh at me and go, what's wrong with you, man? What are you doing? And so it was, I almost felt like it was very difficult to get men to talk about these sorts of things. And I think, and that's when I started to uh, find that I was more comfortable talking to women because for women, they were almost always searching for these types of conversations. So I found it naturally easy to connect with women. And, uh, and that's why when I, you know, when I got into this business, it was only natural for me to uh, attract women into this business. But and for, if, if it was just from, if, it, if my main primary concern were just commercial considerations and profit, then I would have just kept doing that. But it really yeah. hurt me to see how many men were falling behind. And I felt that it was important mm -hmm. that somebody was having, having this conversation. But it's interesting. I have been shot down and attacked a lot by men for using women as role models and examples, because there's a lot of stuff that I have learned from women. Sure. And so when I talk Absolutely. about that, some men love that and some men don't like that. And, um, and, and so it, it's, it's a complex thing that I'm dealing with here, Dov. It's not an easy thing to deal with. Uh, and for, so for me, my identity, you know, I didn't really see myself as one of those domineering type of men. 
uh, for me, being a real man started with self-control because I knew that that was the hardest part. It wasn't yeah. about controlling others. Uh, whereas in, in society, a lot of the times we see men that control others as powerful. I really realized that that was not the most powerful thing a man could do. The most powerful thing a man could do is to control themselves, control. which is why I talk about self-leadership. And that was the hardest challenge. Um, and when I knew, when I had overcome my own challenges and issues over a long period of time in all areas of my life, then I, that was, at that point, I felt equipped to lead this movement. I thought, you know what? I've earned my stripes here. I've gone from this guy who had absolutely no idea, no education, no self-esteem, to then being able to create desirable outcomes in all areas of my life, including family, health, finances, business, so on and so forth. I have a lot of value that I have acquired over the years. Let me start sharing it. And so that's how the movement was born. You know, it's, it's very interesting because, you know, uh, in our conversation, when I was on your show, we talked about, you know, you, you live in Australia. I came from Australia and it is a culture that is uh, very macho in many, many ways. And it is also in many ways socialist in its roots in that it's not particularly entrepreneurial. There have been some amazing entrepreneurs come out of Australia. Don't get me wrong. But I remember tall poppy syndrome very well and getting my legs slapped for thinking bigger than the other people who were around me. So there's this very male thing, you know, you have to have your ute, um, you know, and you, 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 you know, you got to drink your beer and you got to be able to out drink the other guy, uh, you know, and you go in the sun until your skin falls off and you know, you're, you're trying to bang as many women as possible and dominate and domineer. But at the same time, you want a good job with a, with a good solid wage and a good pension. So it's very interesting because, you know, you're out there talking about advancing men. You're also extraordinary entrepreneurial. You're helping people grow their entrepreneurial businesses. So this is a movement in many ways, not just of men, but of self-aware, self-led entrepreneurial men which is, if you will, a double-edged sword, you know, for you, you know, you're on two fronts battling in, from my remembrance of the Australian culture, and I was just back there um, just less than a couple of months ago, and was, you know, constantly looked around, and, you know, I'm like, wow, I, I, I could not move back here. I can feel the, the oppression of, of, of the entrepreneurial spirit and the oppression of the evolved men sitting around talking with some of my friends who I met up with while I was out there again, you know, and, and listening to how far my friends were ahead of the Australian general male, and yet how far I saw that they were retarded in their, in their development about what it really meant to be male. So, you know, it's a, it's an interesting thing for me. And I guess that that's why you've, expanded because your business and your your movement is not limited to australia you're now expanding into the united states so tell us a little bit about moving from one culture to another culture yeah really interesting observation you make dov and i it's probably the first time i've actually heard someone talk about it uh, the way you just explained it it is true uh, it's the it's the irony of the australian culture uh, so in many ways we are subconsciously programmed and we gravitate towards uh, activities that highlight physical dominion. Uh, but Absolutely. when it comes to intellectual, financial, and spiritual, it's kind of dismissed uh, by a lot of men. I don't think they even realize it, that they're doing it. But Absolutely not. 
but you're right. The, the chances are that if they were to look at somebody like yourself or myself, uh, there is not a lot of respect for the type of work that we do because it's a, there's a general assumption that only physical work equates to hard work and uh, physical work is generally um, something to be celebrated uh, and that, and so there's, there's almost this misunderstanding with, and, and look, there's always exceptions, but largely that is the case. Uh, a, a lot of people will misunderstand, but it's not just men in Australia. There's a lot of uh, men. I found that a lot of men in the UK as well uh, have a similar sort of um, a mindset. So it's, it's one of the things for us is it's not about denying what they've done. We want to absolutely celebrate the fact that these guys are highly accomplished in, in maybe, maybe blue collar trade and so on and so forth. And it's not about denying or dismissing what they've done. No, it's, it's just making people realize that there is, if you want to become a holistically successful human being, there's a few other dimensions that you also want to develop. Right. Um, and so, yeah, so that's been uh, actually the biggest cultural challenge has been in Australia where, where I live and where this movement was established mm -hmm. uh, in the United States has actually been relatively easier because as you know, in the United States, it, the tall poppy syndrome doesn't exist. Uh, and although I have to say that there is a lot of men that are starting to, and, and this is across the Western world, I'm finding a lot of men that are starting to uh, deny the material capitalist system and because they see it as symbolic of greed and exploitation. And so as human consciousness is starting to rise, there's a lot of talk around gratitude and abundance. But I do, I do wonder if they're kind of misguided because they're completely denying a, a whole, you know, a, a really practical element of life, which is the real world. You've still got to be able to make it in business. You've still got to pay your bills. You've got to still, you've still got to have to look after your responsibilities. Um, but in the United States, yes, it, it's, been, it's been different. Uh, the, the, the work culture is different. Uh, the performance orientation is different. Uh, they celebrate success more. Uh, and so it, it, it's been, I, in many respects, I do feel that the take up and the acceptance of the successful male movement has been a lot easier. And I haven't had to justify myself or this movements about uh, like I've had to do that in Australia. But having said that, I have to say that, look, there is a lot of spirit in the Australian culture. And I do feel that oh, you know, it's changing. Uh, I do feel that there is a, a lot of men that are starting to evolve, have the right types of conversations. There is still a lot of resistance around this sort of stuff. And I think there is a negative connotation attached with the word successful. And not because success is a bad thing. It's because of how, what people think success is. But everything's based on perception, and, and this is the problem. I mean, in many ways, you know, you, like I said, you were named as a thought leader um, uh, and an influencer by LinkedIn, you know, but um, in many ways, this is about perception, which is leadership of thought, right? Um, uh, and the perception of something is not the reality of something. Um, the perception of something is one's own filter with which I look at the thing it is. You know, so um, I, I've done lots of this work with other people, with, with companies, with organizations, and it's like, what is the truth? I mean, right now, Ron, you're wearing glasses. Do you wear glasses to read or do you wear glasses just generally to see? Both. Both. Okay. So if I take your glasses off you for a moment and ask you to look across the room 50 feet, what will be in front of, what will you see? You'll see something that's blurry. Correct. But if I give you lenses that correct that vision, now the thing that was blurry is clear. And that's simply what perception is. It's the lenses we wear or don't wear. And sometimes we need a new set of lenses to go, oh, so these guys are not a bunch of puffers. No. 
these are guys who are actually looking at their own heart, their own soul, and their commitment to the world, while still be committing to making a difference in the world. And as I talked about, and you, you know, you, I know you've got my book, Fiercely Loyal, one of the things I talk about in there, right at the front end, is that millennials, <laughs> thank you, that millennials who are now 39 years old, they're not kids, who are now 39 years old, they came up in the, uh, in the recession of 2008, 2009, and they learned from that not to trust big business. They learned that their mom and dad had been, spent 20 years investing in a company, and they went, ah, you know, I can't trust that. So that mistrust is there. But, the, but we can't throw out the baby with the bathwater, and we have to pay attention to our need to understand that we have a social responsibility, we have a financial responsibility, we have an emotional responsibility, and we have an evolutionary responsibility. And it is about taking it to the next level. And, pro and this is, by the way, this is just psychology of human beings. When that evolution is about to emerge, when it's about to break through, we naturally get a polarization. It, before it breaks through, there's a polarization. So that polarization right now is what we're seeing is, and we're going to see more of it, which is the rise of non-democratic capitalism. Do you get that, guys? Non-democratic capital, uh, capitalism. So you'll see in China and Vietnam. Vietnam's GDP is growing almost as fast as China's. China's going to take over to be the number one GDP in the world over the United States within five years. Americans don't like to hear that, but it's still the truth. Go read the numbers. So that's a non-democratic capitalism, right? It's, a, it, it's an authoritarian capitalism. We're going to see the rise of that go out into the world. And people don't want the, the authoritarian if we're here in the West. But we've gotten so lazy and, and so um, entitled that we've forgotten that side of the deal. Now, on the other side, in that other world, is also they've forgotten the, about the soul and the heart and the connection and the need for human being connection. And this is the evolution that people like you and I are committed to, is how do we evolve all the aspects of, of not man, but mankind, and say, yeah, you need, to, you need to make your money, but you need to take care of your heart. You need to take care of your relationships. You need to take care of your soul. You need to take care of your body. You want to you wanna, you wanna feel good in the way that you look, but you also want to be good in the way that you look as well, in the way that you feel as well. And that... You know, I love that that's what you're doing. That's what you're bringing to the world is that's what you're, you're pushing for is this evolution. So talk to us now about that piece where I go to thought leadership, because that's a term that is really thrown around. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to you to be uh, considered a thought leader? And, and why is that? Why does it even matter? Or does it? Well, um, first of all, I'm encouraged by the fact that you, you, know, you understand what this is about. And this is what uh, gives me the ammunition to keep going because it ha it's, it's been very challenging to consistently having to explain yourself when you're trying to do something that benefits people, uh, yet you are treated as guilty before people see you as innocent. It, it's been a hard journey. And I think this is mm -hmm. a big part of my leadership evolution has been that I have signed up for this. I understand that this is going to be a constant challenge. It comes with a lot of suffering, but the cause is so great in my heart that I must keep going. Um, when it comes to evolution, you know, for me, thought leadership is just taking an idea uh, or a message that you feel very strongly about and then creating a movement, a tribe 
maybe business a business and creating impact around it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and, and sometimes it, all it takes is you've got to look at two opposing ideas and find a gap in the middle and say, well, no one's really talking about that. So those two, there's two opposing ideas here. But why isn't anyone talking about this third idea, which may either be a combination of those two ideas mm-hmm. or, or it might be just something that's in the middle and might just say, well, hang on. None of those ideas are actually right. There needs to be an integration of the two ideas. So, we, so for me, it was a case of looking at the, was there men's initiatives out there? Of course there were. Uh, there's lots of women's initiatives out there. But the, what I saw was a gap. And I just asked myself this question. What would have really helped me in my 20s to avoid 10 years of pain and struggle? And I came to the conclusion, what would have helped me is a holistic model that would have shown me what it means to live a holistically successful life and came with principles, mental models, strategies, and tactics and tools that I, and frameworks that I could apply to minimize the incidence of bad decisions, to minimize mistakes in life, and, uh, you know, and optimize opportunities that were available to me. So I wasted a lot of time unnecessarily in pain. Not only did I cause pain to myself, I caused pain to people around me. And that, when I looked at, when I, after all my education that I had done, I looked back and I thought so much of that was avoidable if I had the tools. And so that's how I then went about and created, created those tools. I uh, looked at the gap in the market. And for me, I didn't go out saying I want to be a thought leader. I just said, well, here's something that I personally feel very strongly about. Here is a problem that exists in the world. Rather than saying somebody should solve it, let me see if I can solve it because I've solved it for myself. So if I've solved it for myself, then maybe I can solve it for others as well. And that's where the process started. So for me, that is really the true essence of thought leadership. And then, of course, I had to, somewhere down the track, I had to become more strategic. And I realized that if I didn't have visibility, that I was going to be limited in, in my ability to make an impact. So that was a strategic aspect, which I admit, you know, I thought, but, but what I said to people was, look, yes, I'm going to be in the media. Yes, I'm going to be doing keynote speeches. Yes, I'm going to be writing books. But really, you have to understand, I'm not building myself to serve me. I'm building myself to have the opportunity to serve at a higher level, which I'm not going to get the opportunity if I don't have visibility, because you can have all the expertise in the world. But if you haven't got the visibility that goes with it, your ability to make an impact is restricted. And so from that perspective, I had to become a bit more strategic. I had to learn about this industry. I had to learn what it takes for me, for this movement to be successful, for it to reach a million men across the world, which is the objective we set for ourselves. I needed this movement to be in prominence. I needed my message to be in prominence. And for that, I had to do a lot of things that I wasn't prepared to do. I had to be, I was, I had to be willing to stand out. I had to be willing to put up with ostracization, criticism, misunderstanding. I signed up for it. Right. The thing, and, I, and so a big part of my development has been to take responsibility for what I signed up for. And there's a lot of great moments and there's a lot of difficult moments and it goes hand in hand. But I just find that every year I feel my character is a bit more mature because of having to deal with these, these challenges. Well, let's go to that because, you know, you talked about feeling the resistance and, and having a battle up against that and the pain. But at the same time, you know, you, had, you, became, you were recognized by LinkedIn, you had, what was it, 30 million uh, views. You know, so that sounds like, no, but I mean, that, that sounds like no resistance. That sounds like, you know, w- what do you think it was that drew 30 million views? I think it has to be the willingness to stand by what you believe and to have the ability to take a message, even though you know that the time hasn't come yet and being vocal about it uh, and doing it consistently. But what do you uh, think it was in your message 
that pulled 30 million views when, you know, other people uh, might go, well, you know, I've only had five views or 50 views or 500 views or a thousand views. Well, I think it's consistency. So it's not something that's happened. This has happened over a two-year period. I think we ended up at 38 million views, um, you know, when we started to look back and thought, well, this is the amount of views that we get each month. Uh, I think it was consistency and having the courage to stand by what you believe and not sitting on the fence. I think that was the key part for me was that, look, if this is what I believed, there's a, there's a fair chance that this is going to be perceived as slightly controversial by a good percentage of the demographic. And yes, I may be misunderstood. I may have people that will ostracize me and criticize me as a consequence, but still not being prepared to compromise on what I believe. So not sitting on the fence was a big part of this because thought leadership is a form of leadership. Uh, you may not necessarily be leading a team, but you're leading yourself and you're leading a particular message. Uh, and I think for me, the big part was I wasn't sitting on the fence. So even when people didn't agree with me, what I found was they respected my... Uh, willingness to stand by what I believed. And I was researched. I, so I backed myself up. I didn't shy away from those difficult conversations and controversies and accusations. I went back with the response. And what I found was over a period of time, I started to observe that there was a lot of people that probably didn't like me or what I stood for. But I did feel that there was an inherent respect that I had earned by my unwillingness to compromise in what I believed. Uh, and so, so there is, and that, you know, that, that is uh, fantastic for your self-esteem when you feel, wow, you know what? I'm so glad that I did that. Those are, sure. those are good days. Those are good days. But then yeah. you have a lot of bad days in this industry as well. You do, you have, I shouldn't say bad days, but you have situations that don't make you feel so good when you have a lot of people that misunderstand you and attack you within a short period of time because of their unwillingness or their inability to understand what you're trying to do. But one of the things, that, the most wonderful thing for me has been to take somebody who's a critic and turn them into an advocate. And the most satisfying thing, because you know, to take somebody who did not like any, anything about you and then they eventually became a fan and they just wanted to follow you and they believed in you, that, that's been uh, probably the, one of the best aspects of, of this journey. That's very rewarding for sure. Now you have an you have an interesting philosophy that that I absolutely love, and I want you to tell us about it, which is about um, that it's important to lead your people uh, the way you would treat your own children. Tell us a bit more about that because I think that's that's really insightful. Well, I think Dov, um, I, and I think I you have uh, sort of um, reconfirmed that for me as well. One of the things I asked myself was uh, who are the best leaders in the world? Because I, for me, my biggest challenge was leading people. That is where I really struggle in my life. I've always been very good at self accountability, self performance. I've been, I've always been able to do things for myself, but now all of a sudden I found myself responsible for other people's well-being, other people's performance and their fulfillment. And uh, I was completely out of my depth. And so I asked myself this question a few years ago, you know, what is the best way to lead? Because I had, you know, consumed a lot of leadership literature over the years. You know, some people said that leadership is influence. Some people said leadership is authority. Some said it's power. Some said it's leading by example. And so I started to ask myself, who are the best leaders in the world? Mm -hmm. is, it, is, it, is it Gandhi? Is it Martin Luther King? Um, you know, because I wanted to emulate these examples. Is it, is it Winston Churchill? Is it... People said that even Hitler was a great leader. I mean, his cause was bad, but as a leader, his ability to influence people towards a cause 
was very powerful. Then I thought to myself, but that's really not the kind of leadership that I want to do, obviously, because, you know, yes, he might have been great at influencing people, but was he really a great leader in terms of the positive impact he made on the planet? So I kept asking myself these questions. I got, I started to read all these autobiographies and biographies of, um, you know, people who had left a very positive impact on the planet and eventually came to the conclusion that the best leader that the world has ever witnessed has been a lot of great leaders was Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so the question was, why, why did Jesus Christ, why was he, why is he the best uh, leadership example in the world? And when you really separate Jesus Christ, the way he led versus how everybody else, all the most influential people in the world led, one of the things that stood out was that he led with love. And I think this is something that you talked about as well. This is something very difficult, by the way, this has been my greatest challenge <laughs> and so I thought to myself, how do you, how do you lead? Because people sometimes do so many wrong things and they, they're so, a lot of people can be quite self-interested. How do you continue to love them? And uh, in the beginning, I made this mistake of thinking, treat them like children. And I realized that that was, I was going to come across as condescending if I do that. And it wasn't really working well. And it was a slight distinction that didn't, strike me for, you know, for, for months later, I realized that it was actually not treating them like children. It's like treating them like your children. So how do I treat my six-year-old daughter? I'm firm mm-hmm. with her, but I'm gentle with her. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I will be firm with her. There's, going, there's accountability that I place on her. But um, at the same time, I lead her with love. She knows that I have her best interest at heart, which is why she allows me to lead her. And I kind of realized that was like a big moment for me when I realized, wow, that's what I have to do. Now, having said that, Dove, it's one thing to realize that. It's another thing to execute it. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole different story. <laughs> that's right. So, so I had the realization that if I was going to lead, then that's what I really needed to become good at. But I love but, that distinction, Ron. And I think that it's important people, for people to get because I don't want them to, to slip into treat people like children because it is condescending and it's annoying and it's you know, it's a really great way to make sure you lose your people because you actually have to treat them with a ton of respect if you want to keep them. But treating them like your children, which is, you know, if you're going to be a good, and when I say your children, I, there's a, there is a little asterisk there and, and it says, if you were a healthy parent and they were healthy children, that's <laughs> yes. the little asterisk because you, you don't want to treat them like um, entitled little shits which unfortunately is what a lot of people have as children, but to treat them as your children in the way that you've just said, I think it's such a great distinction is to lead by example, to, to, um, to know, to have them know you really have their best interests at heart and that your guidance and your boundaries are there to help them be better, to serve better in the world is a very different thing than, Oh, you're unhappy. Let me buy you a new, new thingy. You know, and, and I just love that distinction. So it's not talking down to, and it's not this entitled little shit thing. It's like, hey, I love you. And because I love you, this is what I want to guide you in. You can ask me why, and I'll tell you why. And if I, can't, if I don't have a why, then I need to shut the hell up because it's just a rule otherwise, and nobody likes that. And I love that distinction, and that's why I wanted to to hit on it. And I really appreciate you sharing that that distinction between treating people like like children versus treating people like your children, provided you're doing healthy parenting, which is the asterisk. <laughs> and I'm glad you put that caveat in because that is important. Yeah. 
because uh-huh. not every parent, you know, is 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 teaching their kids well or, or developing them or training them but again so i get the i get the conceptual side of this like i've got it now like in terms of mm-hmm. if there was a formula for good leadership well i feel that this is it but hey that's just the beginning for me to yeah. execute this in real life especially when people because you know sometimes people do things that make it very difficult for you to like them and Absolutely. because my and my whole life i have been very good at managing my own performance and managing myself now here i here i am now having to be responsible for other people's or uh, being responsible not for them but responsible to them you know mm-hmm. it's a different ball game it's a different ball so i what i realized was now for the next 40 years of my life this is what i need to get good at if this is one skill that i can master for the next 40 years and i know this is going to take me a long time because most people are not selfless i'm not selfless and uh, you know how do i make sure that i don't compromise the interest on of other people and i'm always i've got that at the forefront of my mind and my policies and my strategies you know so that's now for me is my challenge is i have developed myself in a number of areas from money to business uh, to performance to my own thinking my personality so i've done a lot of work on myself but now I know that this new challenge is probably going to take up the next 40 years of my life, but I'm absolutely committed to it because I do know that if I master this, that when I'm on my deathbed, I will be able to look back at my life and I'm, I'll go, you know what? I have done absolutely everything. Cause this was, this I believe is the hardest thing to master to unconditionally love people and to extract superior performance out of them at the same time. It is not an easy thing. And so that's why I bought your book because you know, <laughs> having, having consumed so much, uh, leadership but Tuchana, you know we're talking about this this is it now for me i have to get good at this because I, if i'm going to build anything of significance if i'm going to have the impact that i want to have the global impact that i want to have and i want to do it with lots and lots of people i don't want to be do it by, i don't want to do it by myself i have to master this now but yeah. I, I i'm wise enough to know that this is not a one or two year journey no and, so, and i really appreciate you recognizing that because i find that particularly again men you know we want to we want to think, well, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to give two years to this and I'm, I'm going to be done. No, you're never going to be done. You're never going to be done. I've been actively in this process for 40 years, exactly 40 years this year, 40 years, and I'm not done. And I know it won't be done in 40 more years. It's just not how it works. So it's an evolution. It's a deepening. It's not a finish line. And the quicker we can get to that, the quicker we can stop being pissed off and frustrated that we're not there yet. And the, because there is no there, there is always an evolution. And you, you'd be pretty upset if evolution stopped in life. So it's the same with you. But I want to come back to something here because of what you were just talking about. Um, because I said my background, you know, there's a lot of depth to that background, but part of it is psychology and particularly in developmental psychology. And, there's no doubt that we are impacted by our childhoods. And, you know, I, I, I remember, uh, you may have heard me talk about this before, that uh, on an interview I was on in Saskatchewan in 1989, and the, the interviewer from the CBC said to me, who was your greatest spiritual teacher? And I said, oh, that's easy. There was two. And he said, what, who were they? And I said, one was travel, you know, and... Uh, which we won't go into. And I said, and they said, okay, who was the other? And I said, my father. And they're like, oh, really? Your father? Your father was a very deeply spiritual man too? And I'm like, no, my father was a spiritual imbecile. He was a narcissistic, sociopathic, selfish dick who had no spiritual set grounds at all. 
And they said, well, how was he such a spiritual influence on you? Um, I said, because over time, he taught me who not to be. And so our childhoods, our, our, our life, who we're born into, the, the culture we're born into as a family, um, as a faith, a religion, um, uh, an ethnicity, um, a nationality, whatever it might be, all those things have had impact on us. How do you see that your childhood has had the strongest negative and positive impact on you? In, I think in becoming you, a leader. Yeah. Um, when you start to embrace gratitude, you, you, you try and understand and you try and see every aspect of your life as being, as serving you in some way. You know, uh, mm -hmm. I, I really strongly believe now that uh, the universe does have our back. Uh, mm -hmm. It may not do things the way we want it to, but uh, through these stages where I absolutely hated and blamed my parents for everything to then saying, okay, you have taught me who not to be to then going the next stage by going, no, you've actually taught me who to be as well mm -hmm. uh, because they have wonderful qualities and every individual has wonderful qualities and there's a lot of things. So I, so I, you know, I'm, I'm a composite of so many people and so many experiences. It's hard to say that I have any one person has been instrumental, but I do have a lot of gratitude because every person who's put me through pain or challenges uh, every person that has been there for me has taught me something. I know, I know it sounds very cliched, but I really do believe that now because I see that now. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and look, the, some of probably, probably the biggest influences in my life. I mean, I did uh, massively inspired by Martin Luther King. And I think that's how I knew that I needed to do something that was, because I asked myself, why am I so inspired? Why, does, why do I get goosebumps when I watch him speak in a documentary? And I kind of realized that the thing that's pulling me in, maybe I've got some of those seeds and maybe I need to nurture those seeds. And that's why I like the idea of having a movement. I like the idea of uh, being somehow contributing to uh, the raising, raising human consciousness. And, um, but also like the strength that these people had. So when I talk about these people, I'm talking about Mandela, I'm talking about Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, uh, Gandhi. Some of these people have been really great examples in, in, in teaching. But look, having said that, I'll, I'll watch Trump and I'll see, you know, what is it about Trump? You know, is he a good leader? Is there, I mean, the media will put him down as just a bad leader overall, but has he got anything good? So I'm constantly, rather than just buying something at surface level, I'll ask myself this question. Is there anything that I can learn from, from that person or that person? You know, so, so Trump has power. He has, uh, he is resilient. Uh, he doesn't take, he, you know, some people may say he doesn't really care about public opinion. Now that could be a good thing or a bad thing in many ways. He's decisive. So I, for me, it, it's very hard to say person's completely bad or completely good. So I try and see beyond the surface and see what can I learn. And I think I'm just a composite of all the people that have inspired Ooh. me in some aspects, including yourself, Dal. I mean, I, as you know, I'm quite inspired by your example because, you know, for because what I see is that you're 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 not you're not just, I see there's a lot of men that have already given up in the thirties and forties. And so I see you with so much energy and passion. And one of the things that does is it gives me a model for my future. It says, okay, <laughs> you know what? I, there is a, I can be still, I can be active. I can be fit. I can still have strong views. I can be well-researched. I can be out there. So I didn't have that model for many years. 
so, so that's why I'm thankful. And I wasn't being insincere in saying those things to you because, because the moment I, 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 I had a chat to you, I was like, okay, here is somebody else that I can emulate. There are things that they're doing that are wonderful. Um, so it's hard for me to nail any one person, but um, you know, I, I do feel that now I do see my dad is great. You know, there's a lot of things that he's very good at. He's extremely spiritual. He's very socially, he, socially he's so advanced. I never saw that as, because my dad, I saw my father as somebody who wasn't accomplished. So what I did was I'm not going to follow his example. What I didn't realize was when it comes to social connections and awareness around nutrition and health, he's extremely advanced. So let me learn those aspects from my yep. dad because he's very sure. good at that. Um, would, I have, would I have preferred that my dad was a bit more accomplished? Well, yes, but because that's because accomplishment orientation is my value. But then that's the wrong way for me to think. Yeah. I, have to, I have to literally shape my focus and go, my dad is brilliant. Everybody yeah. likes my father. He's so good at, he's so personable. He's so sincere and he's so trustworthy. What are those things? Can I incorporate that within my leadership model and within the kind of person that I want to be? So that's what I'm looking for. And I think that's, like you said, it's all about perception. It's what, I'm, what are you looking for? Are you looking for flaws? Or are you looking for things that you can emulate? And it is natural for us to look through the lenses we wear. And so if your lens is performance and you look at somebody who is not performance driven and you see them as a failure, but their lens may be, may be social skills and if they're looking through the lens of social skills, they see themselves as very successful and they might see someone else as a complete failure who is a high performing individual. So it really depends on the lenses. And the, uh, one of the things that great leaders understand is how to move lenses, which is very difficult. Uh, it, 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 we can do it superficially as a concept, but to actually go, oh, how can I be in that person's world? Uh, and because... The, and the, part of, the reason is, again, part of social conditioning is because if we can be empathetically moved into somebody else's perception, we're seen as flip-flotting. We're seen as being uh, unstable and, and not having solid views. But I want to be, in my life, I want to be a person who can totally hear you, even if I completely disagree with you. And I think you know, I spoke at the UN with, it, with the head of war, which is, you know, was the head of the neo-Nazi movement who I helped to um, get away from that world. Um, and now he's the, you know, he was the head recruiter for them. And he, he now runs an, uh, an organization called Life After Hate, which helps people to, to not do that anymore. And he speaks all over the world and has been to Auschwitz and has, you know, does wonderful, wonderful work. I'm very proud of Tony in who he is and as a friend. But you know, when we were interviewed at the UN together, people said, how could you, Dove, as a Jew, mentor this guy who was a neo-Nazi? And I said, because he's me. And they're like, well, you're a neo-Nazi? No, because he's a human who took on something and a behavior. But the behavior doesn't define the person. It, it, it may define them to them, but it doesn't have to define them to me. I'm willing to see you beyond the color of your skin. I'm willing to see you beyond your philosophy. But I also am willing to see when you're not interested in anything but your philosophy. So for instance, um, I used this example before in that if you did a lie detector on Donald Trump, you know he's been like 80,000 lies is the fact checking, right? And it's insane amount of lies. But I've often said if you did a lie detector test on him, he would pass. 
because he believes what he says, even when it's complete bullshit. Like, not my opinion, here's the facts on the numbers. Doesn't matter. He believes it. And that, that psychology inside of him is one that isn't changing. So the people who go into to advise in the White House because they, they hope they're going to change the president, you know, whether, whether that was uh, his chief of staff, you know, who really went in there as a general to trill, you know, to really help him be more politically um, aware and, and to be more presidential. It's a losing battle because there are certain people who decide this is who I am and it is immovable and that's fine. So my, you come to a place in that part of your leadership where you have to decide um, which what Vlad Blanton talked about many years ago, which is radical acceptance or radical rejection. And radical acceptance is this is who you are. You're not going to change. So I can find good things in that and be okay with that. Or I can't be okay with it. That's okay. I just cannot be with this. It's not okay. I understand. And it is toxic for me to be in that environment. And that's all right. Because, you know, the, the Jesus syndrome is to try and save any, everybody. And you know what that gets you? That gets you two pieces of wood and a couple of nails. That's what that gets you. You don't want to try and save everybody. We can't save everybody. But we can help and we can assist and we can empower those who say, is there more? I wonder what it is. I can't see it yet. But is there more? I want to talk to Ron. I want to talk to Dove. I want to find out if there's something more. And, and even if it's only inch by inch, then they'll move forward. That's very different than the person who says, no, I'm digging my heels in and I'm nailing my boots to the ground because I'm not going anywhere. This is my identity. And that is what leadership is, is to be able to create that distinction, to have that discernment between the person who is who doesn't just say, I want to learn, want to grow, want to evolve, but is willing to step in to the massive discomfort of that change, even at a minuscule level, because it is uncomfortable. And the person who says, no, no, I will not move, right? Versus the third entity, which is, um, I am going to move. So there are people who say they want to change, but won't do it. There are people who say, I won't change, and they won't. And then there are the people who say, I'm finding this very difficult, like you talked about. I've been up against the wall with this, but I am going to do what it takes. Those are my people. Those are my clients. Those are the people I work with. They're already super successful. They're doing great. And everybody else is going, I want to be you when I grow up. But they understand, oh, it's not supposed to be easy. The wheel polishes the diamond and it has to grind the shit off in order to get to, this, to get to the diamond. Okay. So with that, let me ask you, what keeps you going on a shitty day? Because we all wake up with them. We all have one of those days where we go, oh, let me just pull the blankets over. What keeps Ron going on those kind of days? Yeah, I mean, what you just said is so true. Um, you know, for personal success, I've achieved the level of success that I wanted. I'm, you know, I've achieved a lot of desirable outcomes. The next challenge that I signed up for is leadership. It goes beyond me, whether it's thought leadership, it's leading people, or it's making a change in the world. That has to go beyond me. And I realized that the thing for me now is that it's so easy to stop where I am now. I've, you know, I can, I can easily argue that I've, my social needs, my self-esteem needs, even my self-actualization needs are met, my financial needs are met. 
I don't need to go any further than this. I mean, mind you, people will just stop when their social needs are met and their security needs are met. But for me, there's this sense of what, who, because I'm all about magnification and increase. My question now is who can I be if I went beyond? I must find out. I must find out regardless of the challenges and the sacrifices and the, and the suffering that I'm going to go through. It, for me, I, it's unacceptable to get to the end of my life and realize that I didn't do everything that I could to develop to the maximum of my, to reach, reach that, my maximum potential. So th- that is why I say leadership is the hardest thing I've ever done because leadership is no longer about me now. Up until now, it's been about the self. Now yep. it has to go beyond. That is difficult, very difficult. But what I do know is that when I have the good days, I remind myself of the good days, when things are done well and we have people that are happy and they're fulfilled and they achieve, that, the sense of satisfaction that I get, nothing else gives me that level of satisfaction. And that I'm hooked onto that now, so I must figure it out. So that's what keeps me going on the bad days. So bad days for me are days when I'm not achieving that, but that's a simple feedback for me that there is something I haven't figured out yet. And I will figure it out. Fantastic. um, it's just a hunger, Dovin. I, I agree with you. I've, I've learned the hard way as well. There's no point trying to help people that don't want help. And a lot of them think they, they want help, but they're not going to take any action. I'm the third category of people. I will continue. I will not stop. I will complain something sometimes. I will sometimes. I'll, you know, I'll, even, you know, I'll, I'll even feel sorry for myself, but it, I, don't let, I don't stay in that zone for long. I come out of it in a few hours. Uh, but because the... I've already established who I want to be and how I want to, what do I want to be known for? I, you know, we, there was an example. So I can't remember who taught me this, but they said, if you had, let's come up with your life sentence, which is basically one line about how people would describe you. Um, and for me, it was very straightforward. I knew that I wanted people to say that because of you, I knew I could be more for that to happen. And some cool. people say it's very egocentric though. It's not egocentric because Egocentric is stopping where I am now because my mm-hmm. needs are met. That to me is egocentric. So, and I realized my number one value was legacy. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, for me now it's just keep going. And I'm always looking for the people who had the next level, like yourself, who have a deep understanding, have gone through that suffering, didn't become bitter, didn't give up, didn't give up on people and say, well, stuff them because they're not going to work. They're not going to ever improve themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me now, it's like, how do I maintain my optimism for people when people have done so many bad things and wrong things in me, for me, to me in my business? How do I prevent myself from becoming a victim and still find that love and appreciation for people? Change my lenses, as you said, and see the positives in them. And how do I continue to lead them by example? And that's a hard thing. But you know what? I'm, that's, where, that's my next thing now for the next 40 years. Fabulous. So as we come towards the end of the show, I want to ask you, What's a guilty pleasure for Ron? Oh, you know, I recently <laughs> turned, I've re- I don't have many left of, I recently turned vegan. Uh, and so for me, um, um, it would have to just be sleeping in. If I get to do that, that would be it? my guilty pleasure. Yes. Uh, that's your that's, guilty pleasure. But I have very simple, I have simplified my life. There's only about five components that I give a lot of attention to. Uh, one is my peace of mind. Uh, second one is health. Third one is my meaningful relationships. Fourth one is my work and fifth one is financial security. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I just keep things very simple now. I have got rid of a lot of the crap and ruthlessly eliminated so many activities in my life that I didn't need and moving towards more and more simplification. So making time for the little things in life, being more present, that's been another challenge for me as a, 
as somebody that's a futurist and a forward thinker, I live a lot in the future. Uh, but those are some of the challenges, uh, but the guilty pleasure has to just being able to sleep in every now and then. <laughs> that's great. So as a final word, what is your last piece of practical guidance that you'd like to leave our viewers, our listeners with, if they were to go away in the next 24 hours and somehow integrate something that you've said, something you've shared with us, some piece of guidance that would really have them take it and put it in, in into the world what would that practical guidance be? I think don't, don't dismiss your unique blend of personal and professional experiences that you've had. Uh, you know, people say there's already a lot of leaders in the world. There's already a lot of thought leaders in the world, but there's a lot of movies in the world, but you'll see someone's going to come out with a new movie in 2019. And it's going to be a blockbuster. There's a lot of Ooh. restaurants in the world. Someone might start a new restaurant. It might still be an amazing restaurant because of the cuisine of the service that they provide. And I think a lot of the times people dismiss what they have accomplished and what the experiences that they've gone through in their life. And what I would say is that the moment you really start to appreciate your unique blend of personal and professional experiences and perspectives, and when you make a decision that you're going to package that to add value to the world, it becomes an extremely powerful thing. I don't think it's reserved for a few great people. I think it's just about making a decision that what you have done and all the stuff that you have overcome has the potential to uh, help a lot of other people. And let's not forget there's 7.6 billion of people on the planet. And there's at least 100 million problems in the world that haven't been solved. So there is still a lot of scope for people to step up, take their experiences, be willing to share it. And you just don't know how many impact lives you're going to impact by doing so. So my first, my piece, my practical piece of advice would be to Take out a piece of paper, write down what makes all of the experiences that you had, personal and professional experiences, all the challenges you've overcome, and go, how many people do I know that would benefit from this? And find a way to take that out in the world. I agree. That's wonderful. Thank you. That's fabulous. Ron, it's been a pleasure and honor having you here. Please tell our viewers and our listeners where they can find out more about you and all your wonderful resources. Um, Dov, um, you know, the best place to contact me is uh, LinkedIn. So just connect with me on LinkedIn. If you're a man who wants to get to the next level of evolution for yourself and become an asset to your family, your community, or your industry, check out the successfulmail.com. And uh, if you're somebody that's wanting to inquire about how you can take your experiences uh, on your journey, or you want to craft your own journey of thought leadership, check out ronmohotra.com. And my program is called Magnify You. So the successful mail.com and it's ronmahotra.com and the program's called magnify you, which is basically going from conceptualization to commercialization of an idea. Uh, and, uh, and just to connect with me on LinkedIn, if you just want to stay in touch and just say hello, that would be, uh, I would love that. And thank All you. Right. I just want to say before I do sign, I just want to say, Dov, thank you. You're an inspiration to me. And it was, uh, it was uh, an honor for me to be on your podcast and uh, thank you for being a great role model to men like myself who are, you know, want to get to that next level and giving us something to aspire towards. That's very kind. Thank you, Ron. It's been a pleasure and an honor having you here. And uh, I really want to thank you for all that you shared today and for your openness and your vulnerability, which is always so valuable. And for you, dear listener, remember, information is worth the hole in the donut. 
application is what creates tap, uh, transformation. So go apply what you've learned, listen back, take some notes, and think about what you can do. Like, like Ron gave you, get, get your pen out, get your paper out, make that list. Remember, you can chat about this show or any of our past episodes with other listeners on our podcast group on Facebook, which is Dal Barron's Leadership and Loyalty Podcast. And remember, the research consistently shows that even the fastest growing companies face the challenge that is somewhat counterintuitive in that they spend a fortune training and developing talent only to have them leave at an alarming rate. If you're sick of investing in the training and development of your talent, only have them leave before you get a return on your investment, then come talk to us at fullmontyleadership.com, where we provide you with the essential leadership skills to rekindle and amplify the hidden loyalty assets inside of your organization by tapping into purpose fullmontyleadership.com, providing you with the concrete soft skills to get you and your organization to the top and keep you there. Why? Because you can't outsource authenticity. Also, remember to stop by the matrix, matrix matrix.fullmontyleadership.com. You don't need a triple W, just matrix like the movie.fullmontyleadership.com to get your authentic leadership matrix self-assessment tool. It's valued at $197. Free to you for being a regular listener to us. To find out more about hiring me, Doug Barron, as a speaker or a strategist for your organization, you simply go to fullmontyleadership.com and you can do forward slash consulting or forward slash speaking as you choose. I want to thank you for sharing this show with everybody you know. Till next time, stay curious, my friend. Stay curious about the deeper meaning of your life and what is really possible at that next level for you. I'm Doug Barron. I'm here to assist you tapping into your deep greatness to reach that next level of clarity, focus, purpose, and profit in your life, your business, your leadership impact, and I am out. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.